Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, we are trying out a new format today, and so uh, help us and be patient with us while we're trying to figure out the, the bumps with this new program that we're using. Uh, you're probably tuning in on the YouTube page, and so if you're on the YouTube page looking at our program today, you can uh, interact with us by just putting your comments into the comment window on the live YouTube video, and we'll be able to answer your questions as we move through our program today. Uh, or you can visit our website later on after the show, and you can visit BibleQuest.tv or BibleQuest.org. Either one of those will be fine and be able to send us your comments or your questions there on that format. Uh, so today we have our discussion in uh, Romans chapter 9, and I'll bring in our panelist and we can get going today. Uh, so we've got Dan Bunting with us. How are you, Dan? I'm doing all right. Thanks. Good. Good to see you. Justin Dobbs, how are you? Doing? I'm doing well, thank God. Good. And Scott Smelser, how are you doing today, Scott? Old dog trying to learn a new trick, new formats. <laughs> Got me here at the last second. We'll see if it works. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully, we'll be all right. Um, so, you guys can uh, to our audience. You can comment, let us know how things are going, uh, and also if you have any questions with what we're discussing today uh, or anything else you'd like us to discuss, uh, use that chat box and the. Uh, all right. So, Scott, we're you said we're talking about Romans nine. Uh, you want to get us started? We are talking about Romans nine. So in 2 Peter chapter 3, it mentions that Paul wrote some things which are hard to understand. And Romans 9, I think, is one of those things. But when we look at the context, it will really, really help us. So let's see if I do this right. We're in a new format. And presto, did it work? Yeah. Does anybody see Romans 9? Yes. Okay, very good. Looking good. Uh, let me also turn off my Wi-Fi, otherwise I'm going to keep... You going to no. turn off your Wi-Fi? I don't think he heard you ask yeah. that question. Uh -oh. Because he turned off his Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> So we'll wait just a minute and let Scott come back in. <laughs> did, did he turn off his Wi-Fi? That was... Well, it looks like his arrow was just about to click on the Belkin.A9E, which right. I know is his Wi-Fi. There, there's got to be a good spiritual application from this sort of thing. I'm just <laughs> waiting to see what it <laughs> This is a podcast for the ages. Yes. We're just learning as we go. Well, maybe we can vamp a little bit. I'm curious, you guys, uh, in studying Romans, uh, for a long time, I was, uh, Romans just intimidated me incredibly. Um, and I don't know why, uh, because the more I've studied it, the more I appreciate its practicality and its power to thwart false teaching. Um, I don't know, what, what, what's been your experience with the book as a whole? Have you had a similar experience to that or different? Yeah, with with Romans, um, it's one of those books, uh, I, I thought probably maybe a good place to start in our with Romans is what Peter says about Paul's writings in 2 Peter 3. Um, because I think he, 
I don't know what exactly Peter had in mind when he said what he said in Second Peter chapter three, but I I think he was probably thinking about the Book of Romans, um, because what Peter said will happen to Paul's writings. I've noticed happens a lot with Romans uh, in Second Peter chapter three and verse fifteen. Peter says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he did in all letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that the hard that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their destruction as they do the other scriptures. Um, and that's certainly something that happens in the book of Romans. Uh, Romans is, yeah. is a huge book. It's very long, very meaty. Um, much longer than most of the other letters that will come up. And, uh, it's got... and he's back. I think the last words, I think the last words y'all heard me say is, "Let me turn off Wi-Fi." <laughs> we all were silent for a moment, at which point Justin said, "Wait, what did he say?" Yeah, so I was in Romans, I was going through my slides and I was asking a question and I wasn't getting any answers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know. yeah. I thought, that's why I sent you a couple messages on your phone. Um, I don't know if you saw them yet or not, but that was just so you know. Yeah. So, so we just, while you get back on Scott, we were just, we were just talking about what Peter says about Rome or about Paul's writings in Second Peter chapter three, mm -hmm. uh, ignorant and stable twism. To their own destruction they're hard to understand and so you've got you got to sit down and work with romans and you've got to i think scott one thing that you always uh, said whenever i was learning romans with you um and helping to study through that you all said let paul make the point that he's making in this understand that it's just a small part of romans <laughs> you have to take all of romans together um and you can get in a lot of trouble if you cherry pick in, in, in scripture, but especially cherry picking in Romans, um, is is uh, going to lead some issues. So we're going to look at Romans nine, not just in the middle of Romans nine. We're going to look at that, but we're going to look at all of Romans nine and Romans nine, ten, and eleven. Because if you let Paul keep speaking, you'll will better understand what he's saying. Very good. All right. So let us see if I. So we're trying out the new format today. It's working fine with the young guys. The senior citizen is having serious issues. All right, here we go. Do you see the screen now that has Tulip on it? It hasn't loaded yet. Hmm. This is... While it's loading, Tulip, like that's an acronym I'm familiar with, but are, are there other acronyms, right? Like depending on the Calvinist you talk to, they may have various kinds of acronyms to explain what Calvinism is about. Is that correct? Um, not that I know of. Calvin didn't come up with the tulip, but it's it's pretty solidly invented by Calvin. Now you'll meet people that will say I'm a four point Calvinist. It's not that they come up with a different acronym necessarily. It's just that they they're saying I don't buy into all of Calvinism. Uh, so for instance, some Southern Baptists are true Calvinists. Some Southern Baptists might believe in three or four points of Calvinism. Um, and if somebody says they're a four-point Calvinist, what they're saying is they don't accept the L, but they accept the others. Um, yeah, 
I had a guy once who said he was a seven-point Calvinist, oh. and I, I wasn't quite sure what he what he meant by that, or even if he knew what he meant by that. But he was he was quite confident yeah. in Calvinism. There you go. So he probably he probably added sovereignty, which is the idea behind there, and maybe something else. All right, but like Tulip here, um, here's a, a book. If if you want to study Calvinism from a Calvinist point of view, and then refuting it. So this is not a book refuting Calvinism, this is a book promoting it by Edwin Palmer. I like this book because Palmer speaks very clearly and bluntly, and it's not really long. Uh, and I find it a particularly easy book to refute, uh, but this is not by a nobody. Edwin Palmer was the exact, oh, by the way, which translation out of the well-known translations, which translation has a Calvinistic tint or bias to it? I'm going to go with the NIV because that's what you have on the screen. <laughs> okay, very good, very good. And guess who the executive secretary was of the NIV committee or whatever? Edwin Palmer. Edwin Palmer. Hmm. Guess who was the editor, general editor of the NIV study Bible? Edwin hmm. Palmer. Uh, and this is on the five points of Calvinism. And so there's a chapter on T, chapter on U, chapter on L, I, P. But we're going to today get into Romans 9 after I've wasted a lot of our time. Uh, but let's do remind ourselves and our audience very briefly of these four points. So somebody succinctly describe what Calvinist view is on the first point, total depravity. Not well, we just, all agree. Go ahead, Dan. Oh, I was going to say that not, not just was there a sin that happened towards the origin of time, but that that guilt has been transferred to such an extent that we are completely and unable to be interested in God. That's the extent of our depravity. Yeah. yeah. So you're born spiritually dead with Adam's sin. You have inherited original sin from Adam. And so you cannot, as, Cal, as Palmer says, you can't do anything good. You can't want to do anything good. You can't even understand good. Uh, you're just totally depraved. And every single thing you do your entire life is just sin. Unless you are, number two, one of the what? One of the elect. Not just being one of the elect, but one of the unconditionally elected. You're, you're kind yeah. of chosen by God whether you want to or not. The, the problem with these first four isn't so much the noun, but the adjective. Uh, depravity, I don't know that that appears in most of our translations, but certainly the Bible describes a lot of people doing a lot of depraved things, and we've done depraved things. Wickedness, unrighteousness could be some synonyms, but it's the total depravity of Calvinism. It's the unconditional election, the limited atonement, the irresistible grace. There's depravity, election, atonement, and grace, but the, the adjectives here get us in trouble. So if you're one of the unconditionally elect, then L, Jesus died for you, but he didn't die for the other people. And how are you going to become a believer and repent and turn to God if you're totally depraved and so you positively, absolutely cannot be a believer and turn to God and, and do what's good. You have to receive what, number four? Irresistible, Irresistible grace. grace. And then, yeah, yeah. 
And once you're chosen, you're good to go. Um, before we go farther, uh, let's have each of you take one of these points and just mention, besides the you, because we're going to be talking about the you, mention one particular scripture that would show a problem with the other TLIP. What's a verse that would show that we are not born totally depraved and capable of anything good? Well, when Jesus welcomes the, the, the little children, you and I were talking about this just, just the other day. When Jesus welcomes the little children and um, chastises the apostles for, for turning them away, he says, um, unless you receive the kingdom of heaven like uh, a little child. And the fact that we need to yeah. receive these little children, they're more than depraved. Yeah, They're yeah. more than merely yeah. depraved, empty beings. Jesus says of the little children he took in his arms, to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. All right, limited atonement. What's something in the Bible that shows limited atonement is not true? One passage that comes to mind is uh, John 3, 16. God so loved the world that he gave his uh, only begotten son. Um, God, God's sacrifice through his son is sufficient to save Everyone, Second Peter three, you know, explains that, that God does not desire that anyone should perish, but that all should repent and reach everlasting life. Uh, that, that seems yeah. to resist this limited atonement idea. Yeah, and in First John two, it says Jesus is a propitiation, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world, which is described again later in that same book as that which was under the evil one. And irresistible grace, the Holy Spirit can be resisted. Uh, the, that's what Stephen said that the Jewish leaders were doing. You resist the Holy Spirit. It's our job instead to receive with meekness the implanted word. And faith comes by hearing and by word. All right. Um, let's go ahead now and get to Romans 9. Oh, yeah. In unconditional election, somebody describe the idea of unconditional election before we start looking at Romans 9 and repeating this. Well, again, that's, that's the nice. idea, right? That you're you're chosen, uh, whether you want to be chosen or not, and you're not going to uh, receive God's grace unless He does choose you. So it's an action apart from you. God God is going to save you, whether you want to be saved or not, and you you, you can't choose to be saved. So, like, with we have elections in this country all the time, but they're not unconditional elections. You know, people based on some preference that they have made an election. Um, this says it's unconditional. Here's all these people that are all equally, totally depraved. Nobody is sorry for their sins. Nobody is regretting their sins. Nobody wants to do what the prodigal son does and turn back to their father. Everybody's totally depraved. But before the foundation of the world, God selected this one, I'm going to make him a believer. That one, I'm going to make him a believer, and so on. And if you're chosen, you're going no matter what. If you're not chosen, you're not going, no matter what. All right, so Romans 9, here's the middle of the text. Uh, and if this was all we had, that could sound like unconditional election. When Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, somebody read the yellow part. 
though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue. Not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was told the older was of the younger, as is written, Jacob, I love Esau, I hate it. What do I say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose have I raised you up, that I might show my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. And then the yellow part says, so that he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? But who are you, O men, to answer back to God? Well, what does mold say to its molder who made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Okay, so if I was a Calvinist and I believed in unconditional election, do you see anything in this text here that would persuade me not to believe in unconditional election? Nope. Not especially. We're, we're reading about choices that were made before people were born. We're reading about choices that weren't based on whether or not they had done something good or bad. We're reading that God has a right to make what he has made and to have mercy where he has mercy and harden whom he hardens. Any comments on that before we go further? It, it is interesting, though, uh, and I'm. Uh, I just don't know what a Calvinist would say to this when it says, you know, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad. We, we do acknowledge that people can choose to do good things and choose to do bad things. Um, how does that fit with total depravity? How would a Calvinist say you're totally depraved, yeah. but you're, you still can do good things? Uh, yeah. Does that question that's make a, sense? That's Palmer in his book will say this. He'll say, you can do relatively good things. He gives the example of Albert Schweitzer, uh, who Palmer does not consider regenerate uh, the elect or Christian. But he left promising careers in Europe to go help poor people in Africa. And so he said, that's relatively good. Palmer says, totally depraved doesn't mean that you do the very worst thing you could do. He said, for example, children will call each other names. They could do something worse. They could gouge each other's eyes out. He said, the point of total depravity isn't that you always do the worst thing you could do. It's that every single thing you do is sin. And so he says, it's not an absence of relative good. We can do good relative to another person, but before God, it's still sin. So he might say that this is talking about relative good. Um, or perhaps he's talking about the good that an elect person will do because God makes him do it through a business will grace as opposed to bad. I'm not sure what you would say, but that's a good question. I think the key there is that the discussion is about the spiritual state of the person, um, um, irrespective of the physical behaviors that the person is performing. That's, that's the, the main point I think that they're trying to get at. All right, so let's proceed. And there, there's 
two things I'm noticing different about this format. I can't see y'all and I can't see the time. So can somebody tell me what time it is? It's 2.21. Okay, all right, let's proceed. So uh, Romans 9 viewed through uh, a, a tulip concept. All humans born totally depraved, unable to do good, unable to understand good, unable to desire good, unable to have faith or anything like that. So they're all just total bad apples, nothing but mush and worms. You know, there's nothing good there at all. And God unconditionally elected these according to Calvinism. And then he's going to give at a certain point in time, them irresistible grace. And so the atonement is limited to those people. That would be a way to view Romans 9 as through TULIP. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to look at Romans 9 within the context of the book itself, within the context of Romans 9, and then on into 10 and 11. And we're probably going to run out of time, but we'll keep going here. All right, so this would be the, in, in this system, wouldn't you agree that for the Calvinists, this would be the elect right there, right? Those other people down there are not elect. In nine, we read about the elect as opposed to the hardened. I will have mercy on whom I will, and on whom I will, I will do what? What's the other choice? Hardened. Hardened. So the hardened are down here. If you're going to be a Calvinist, there's your elect and there's your hardened. So these people are lost no matter what. These people are saved no matter what. Now, what comes next is going to be a PowerPoint that breaks probably all rules of what PowerPoint should be, because we're going to kind of stay on the same chart and to start making this make sense uh, in a minute. But first, let's look at the kind of Pharisee idea. The Pharisee idea was that salvation was through law. And if you're a Gentile, what you need to do is get circumcised and then keep the law. That's why in First in, in Acts chapter 15, when the, the idea of uncircumcised Gentile Christians came up, among the believers, some of the Pharisees among believers stood up and said this right here. You had, they'd already had Judaizers up there saying you can't be saved until you do this. And then down at Jerusalem, some Pharisees among the believers said, you got to circumcise them and teach them to keep the law. As opposed to this, what's the theme verse of Romans? Somebody quote Romans 1.16 for us. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. gospel. For it is the power to save. Power of God. The power of God, yes, unto salvation to those that believe. The Jew first and also to the Gentile. That's what Romans is about. And if you to go to the end of Romans, you can see so the main purpose in Romans is to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second leading purpose in Romans is to create a unity in the city of Rome between the Jewish and Gentile believers. And the fact that that was an important issue is clear because he spends a chapter and a half on it at the end of the book. How many times have you guys at the end of your sermon put the take home, the assignment, the challenge that people need to do? At the end of Rome, at the end of Rome, this where it's like, so here's what you need to do. Jews stop judging yeah. those Gentiles. Gentiles don't despise those Jews. 
realize that both all of you sin. Jesus is the uh, minister of salvation for both of you. He's received both of you, so you got to receive each other. That's kind of the end of Romans. Any comments before we go? Ahead? All right. So there's Romans 1.16. The gospel is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes, both Jew and Gentile or Greek. All right. So that's it's saying the opposite of works of the law. The gospel, not works to the law. The gospel is the power, whereas the law is weak. The gospel is the power of God, whereas they were trusting, Jews were trusting their own righteousness. The gospel is the power of God of salvation, whereas if you just have law, it results in death. And this is to those who trust in Christ, as opposed to those who are trying to accomplish it by their own works. And this is for Jew and Gentile instead of just Israel. So now Romans 9 in the context of Romans. What was God's plan? We just saw it. To buy the good news of what Jesus did, dying on the cross for our sins and being raised from the dead, to save those that trust in him. That's God's plan. All right? And to get to that plan, he works through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, bring about the nation that the promises will come through. You have the exodus out of Egypt with all the foreshadows. You have the law and the prophets pointing to Christ. Comments or questions? No. All right. And so here's Israel. And in the Old Covenant, if you're an Israelite, what, what people are we? God's people. Yeah. We're God's people. I'll mm -hmm. be you'll be my people. I'll be your God. Were the chosen people, right. were chosen ones. What a, and so Deuteronomy 7, God has chosen you to be a special people to himself above all the people that are on the face of the earth. Yep. And we feel pretty good about that if we're, if we're uh, Israelites there. But this tended to go to their head, and they tended to depend on this chosenness and electness over their own personal submission to God. So John the Baptist warned them, don't even start saying what? With Abraham as our father. Yeah. And when Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. And they said, we've never been invited to everybody. We have Abraham as our father. So watch for this arrogance. And Jesus says to the Jews in John 5, I don't, you, you, you search the scripture thinking that it gives you eternal life. The, the words of the Torah don't give you eternal life. They told them how to behave. They didn't behave that way. Salvation comes through Christ that the Torah and the prophets predicted. But Jesus said, don't think that I'll accuse you of the father. There is one that accuses you. And who is it? Moses himself. Yeah. In whom they trust. To be a disciple of Christ, we put our trust in Jesus. They were trusting in Moses. And so look at these expressions, Romans 2.17. If you're a Jew and you rest in the law. Romans mm. uh, 10.3, Paul says to Jews that they were seeking to establish their own righteousness. Mm -hmm. Romans 9, uh, somebody read verse 31 and then verse 32. Well, I've, I've got it here for the sake of time. I'll just go ahead. Israel 
pursuing a law of righteousness didn't arrive at that law. Why? They didn't pursue it by faith, but as though by works. All right. So that's our background problem. And Romans 9 begins with Paul being very, very sad about what? The Jews that didn't submit. Yeah. What does he say? Somebody kind of sum up what he says in Romans 9 or read it to us, whichever you prefer. Well, in verse 2, he says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart because I could wish that I myself were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, they're Israelites. Uh, and so, you know, he says they got all the advantages, got all the prophets, all the promises, all their good relationships with God, but they rejected God's plan. Yeah. And they're lost. And he said, I could almost wish myself to be lost if, if they could be saved. He's heartbroken that they're lost. There's it. They did have Abraham's sword father. They were, the, but they lost. They wouldn't trust in Christ. They trust in Moses' law and themselves. Now we come to the Gentile. And if we're Jews, are Gentiles up here on the same level as us? No, they're down there. And to Acts 10 through 11, what does God, what are some things God does to make Peter do something he hasn't done before, and that it's going to Gentiles' house? Well, he gives him a lot of food to eat that he does that Peter does not want to eat because it was a contrary to law. Yeah, and and lowers down this thing. Just imagine pigs and reptiles, whatever's in there. Rise, kill, and eat. Peter's like, no. And and he says, what I've called clean, you don't call common. This this is a big deal. In John eighteen, you'll remember that the, the Jewish leaders wouldn't go into Pilate's uh, mm -hmm. uh, house. Pilate had to go out to them. And so in Acts fifteen, you can see why these Pharisee believers are saying. Oh, these guys, they got to be circumcised and start obeying the law and become Jews. And in Acts 22 and in Acts 28, both times, people are listening to Paul. Jewish unbelievers are listening to Paul until he says, I'm sent to the Gentiles. Mm -hmm. look, look, somebody read Acts 22, 22. Somebody read Acts 28. 25 and 22. This is going to help us understand Romans 9. All right. Somebody get Acts 22 too. This is where he's on the steps of the tower. The people have been trying to kill him, but he speaks in Hebrew and says, Let me tell you, let me tell you. I used to be doing the same thing you were, et cetera, et cetera. But then Jesus appeared to me. And then Ananias, you know, told me to be baptized. And they're still listening until what? Acts 22, 22. Uh, verse 21. Um He's talking about Jesus saying to him, go for I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. And then in Acts 22, verse 22, up to this word, they listened to him. And then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. Yeah. So these opponents of Paul listened to him, even listened to him when he described meeting Jesus. Listened to him when he described being baptized. But when he said... The Jews aren't going to listen. You go away to the Gentiles. Did a Jewish Messiah, claimed Messiah would? No, not, that's when they were fed up. When Paul gets to Rome, Acts 28, somebody read verse 25. 
25 reads, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will you will hear, but you won't understand. Uh, do you want me to read that whole section, 26 and 27? No, just down to verse 28, please. Just, 28. Just... Yeah, so and then in 28 it says, therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. Yeah, so they've been listening for a long, this was a long time. Uh, they appointed a day for it, and they talked for a long time. But when he said this, that was it. Okay, so keep that mindset in mind. But these Gentiles, like the uh, the Philippian jailer, okay, the night before he was baptized, uh, would he be circumcised or uncircumcised? Philippian jailer, the night before he was the baptized. Be, yeah. be uncircumcised. Kosher diet or filthy Gentile diet? <laughs> Gentile diet. Yeah, yeah. Sabbath observing or Sabbath worker? Probably a Sabbath worker. Yeah. Yeah. So you got this pig eating, uncircumcised, Sabbath working pagan Gentile. Paul preaches the word of the Lord to him. He's baptized into Christ in the middle of the night. In the next morning, he's one of the elect chosen people of God. How does that feel to you, Israelites? Feel a lot like the parable Jesus told about the laborers in the vineyard. Yeah. We've been working, we've been working all day. Yeah. yeah. Our fathers and grandfathers have been working for centuries, and we've been working all this time doing all this stuff. And in you put your trust in Jesus and think you're, and you remember in the parable of the laborers, what was their complaint to the guy that paid the, the guys that remember the fellows, we bore the heat of the sun and everything. And these mm -hmm. guys showed up at the last hour. The complaint was you made them what? Equal to us. Yeah. It's like, you can't do that. Well, realize how much of a mindset this was for some of the Israelites. Mm -hmm. that, doesn't, that doesn't feel right. So these guys put their faith in Christ, and they're the elect. They're the chosen people. Working, uncircumcised Gentiles are now God's elect. Now, there are some among the Jews that will also put their faith in Christ, but it's going to be tempting for them to not appreciate that these other guys get to keep, plus they get to eat bacon. You know, you no matter how good it smelled, you've never eaten bacon. Um, this just doesn't seem fair. But there's the elect in Christ, and here's the ones that are hardened. Okay? So there's the elect, and there's the ones that are hardened. And chapter 11 is going to warn that just as those can come in, these can be cast out. But let's stop and read some here in Romans 9 to see how this goes. And what time do we have? 2.37. Okay, so let's do it quick. Um, Romans 9 started off, with, at the end of 8, it mentioned the elect. Then at the beginning, of, which is the elect in Christ. This is the beginning of 9, I'm brokenhearted about the lost Jews. But it's not verse 6, that the word of God has failed. And actually, 
God has made, it's always been where God puts the promise, not just fleshly descent. Because we're reminded in verse 7 that what? Romans 9, 7. Not all children of Abraham are children of Abraham. Yeah. Uh, who else was a child of Abraham? Ishmael. You've got Ishmael, you've got Keturah's sons, Midian, and so forth. So the Ishmaelites are, guess what? They're sons of Abraham. And then you got Jacob and Esau. Guess what the Edomites, descendants of Esau, are? Esau are. Children of Abraham. Children of Abraham. Now, you Israelites, I'm going to let you three be Israelites there. Uh, have you. Are you okay with God's choices back then when God chose Isaac instead of Ishmael? Is that okay with you? It's not my benefit, of course. Uh, is it okay with you chose Jacob, not Esau? Yep. Yeah, because those choices are your advantage. You're perfectly fine with God making choices back then. Um, but now you're putting all your confidence in the flesh too many times. And guess what? Paul's saying it's not just where God put the promise. And God put the promise in Isaac, not Ishmael. He put it in Jacob, not Esau. And today, the promise is going to be through his son, Jesus Christ, for all that believe on him. Because that's, look up at the top of the chart. That was God's plan. The gospel mm -hmm. will save all those that believe. All right. So continuing. Um, when... Jacob was chosen, not Esau. Had Jacob earned it by all the good, good things he did? No. No. In fact, he had a pretty uh, rotten record. The Philippian jailer, you know, seven o'clock the next morning, what are all the years of good deeds that he's done to merit the fact that he's now a child of God in the elect? Nothing. Yeah. And yet, though his sins were scarlet, he's as white as snow, and he is now a child of Abraham. Right. By faith. And that is not by his works. But to you Jews, you feel it sure doesn't seem what? It doesn't seem fair. What did he do to... What he did to uh, what he did to the Jews wasn't fair either. <laughs> yeah, and and what um, he, I, I didn't word it right. Sorry, the Philippian jailer. What had he done to deserve it? What had he done to earn it? And the answer is what? No. Nothing. Which is the same thing with the rest of us. It's not that we deserved it or earned it either. All right. So it's a big lesson here. So there's the lack, there's the hardened, but here's how we know that, and by the way, one time I was trying to talk to Romans 9 with a Presbyterian, with, with a Calvinist, excuse me, Calvinist preacher. And I told him the context of Romans 9 is about Jews and Gentiles. He said, no, it isn't. Well, yeah, it is. It started off with Paul talking about his heart broken over the Jews, and then look how it ends. After saying, um, 
about the different pots, you know, could make one for honorable, what are one for dishonorable. Somebody read verse 22 of chapter 9. Mm-hmm. Says, What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which prepared beforehand for glory? So who are the vessels of wrath that he endured for a long, long, long time? People. Yeah. I mean, you open the Old Testament, and is it a record of Israel was holy? Israel kept the covenant. Israel kept the ordinances. No. No. It's a record of sin and rebellion, sin and rebellion, and sin and rebellion and unfaithfulness. But God endured with much long suffering these, these vessels. Verse 22, desiring to show his wrath and make its power known, he endured with much patience, vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Verse 23, somebody read it. In order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, who he has called not only from the Jews. Jews. So there's the, see, there are some Jews. There's a faithful remnant but also from the Gentiles. Gentiles. And then he he employs a statement from Hosea to make his point. Those who are not my people, I will call my people. Call my people. Yeah. Uh, In the next verse, in the very place where it was said, you are not the people, they will be called the the sons of the living God. Mm -hmm. But what about Israel? What does it say in verse 27? So the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. Yeah, so look up here at the chart. There's all those Israelites, but it's only going to be a remnant. And then this is key to understanding the chapter. Verse 30. What do we say then? Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained it. A righteousness through faith. But Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Somebody read it. Because they because did they not have faith. faith. Yeah, but as it were based on work. works. So Paul's not saying here that the Philippian jailer was not, as Paul writes later in Philippians, to you know, be a light in a dark world and live a holy life. Of course he's to do that. But the minute he was baptized into Christ and having put his faith in Christ, his sins are washed away, not by any good works that he had done, but by trusting in Christ. Now he's got an obligation to serve that Lord, but he had not earned it. He had not done So he's an example of... They, he had not been pursuing it, but he got it because he put his trust in Christ. And among the Israelites, there would be a remnant. Now, here's how we get to refuting the Calvinist part. Chapter 10. So what do we have? God will have mercy on whom he will. There's our elect. And on whom he will, he hardens. If Paul's a Calvinist, what's the irreversible destination of the opposite of the elect. There's only judgment and punishment. Yeah. yeah. And yet, what does Paul say about the hardened? Somebody read 10, 
1 and 2. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And then he goes through chapter 10, and he talks about the word going out. And he talks about how they received the word, but they didn't listen to it. And then in chapter 10, verse 10, I ask, but did not Israel understand? Moses said, I'll make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I'll make you angry. Verse 20, I'll be, I've been found by those who didn't seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Then chapter 11, somebody sum up the point Paul makes in the first seven verses or six verses. Well, he, he asked the question, did God reject his own people? And he just answers by no means. He gives information about what he did to appeal and uh, the, the, keeping, uh, the, the keeping of his own. Yeah, and he points out, I, I'm a Jew myself. I'm an Israelite myself. Uh, and it's like in the days uh, of the prophet when he thought he was the only one. No, no, there, I, I've got a few thousand, but out of the whole country, that's not very many. All right. So, verse 7, what then? Israel failed to obtain it, but the elect obtained it, and the rest were hardened. But now look what he says. Somebody read verse 11 through 12. So I asked, do they stumble in order they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, who so make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So the hardened, Paul's hoping that they'll realize that they've been left out. And hey, the Gentiles are getting it and want to be motivated to come in. In fact, look at verse 13. So you see there, there at the end of verse 11, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make the Jews jealous. Verse 13. Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I'm an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous for what purpose? In verse 14. To save some. To save some of them. Now he gives the illustration of the olive tree. Somebody read uh, 17 through 24. While I click through the chart follow. I can do that. But if some of the branches were broken off and ye, all the wild olive shoot were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. You remember it is not you who supports the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to grow them in again. 
For if you were cut off from what by from from what is by nature a wild olive tree, and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? So originally you've got here's the tree. Uh, you know, here's all these Israelites taking part in the blessings, but they're cut off from a relationship with God because they're not, they don't putting their faith in God. They're not putting their faith in Christ. They're not being faithful and they're cut off. What's mm -hmm. grafted in? A bunch of Gentiles, a bunch of pig eating, Sabbath working Gentiles are grafted in. And, but don't be high minded because guess what those hardened Israelites can do? If they'll put their faith in Christ, they can come back in. Yeah. And those Gentiles don't remain faithful. They too will be cut off. So when you keep reading, and, and, and yes, there's a hardening. He says in verse 25, lest you buy wise in your own sight. I want you not to be, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that a partial hardening has come upon Israel. But that doesn't mean they have to stay there. They can they can receive with meekness the implanted word, and they can be grafted in. And these Gentiles who are now part of the elect, if they won't continue in faith, they too will be cut off. So what's happened to unconditional election when we proceeded into chapter 10 and 11? There's conditions everywhere. Yeah, yeah. All right. I apologize for all my technical difficulties today. I'm sure we went over time. Uh, I got us started very late, uh, but thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for uh, the discussion with that. Obviously, there's a lot to talk about in Romans chapter nine um, and in the whole book of Romans. Uh, you know, maybe sometime if, if people have questions or like us too, we can go through kind of piece by piece and look at Paul kind of building the case in Romans because it's. It's a pretty linear book in how Paul discusses and building on one point to another and, and really sharing the entire gospel truth. So thank you for going through that, through that with us, Scott. Thank you, audience, for tuning in with us today. If you have any questions about anything that we discussed today or you would like us to go into more detail about something in the Book of Romans or anywhere else, Bible, you can visit our website at BibleQuest.tv or BibleQuest.org. Either one will get you there and just put your question or comment in that. Uh, forum. We'll be happy to do that in our future broadcasts. That's all that we have for this week, and so we will plan on seeing everyone next week, Lord willing.